Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Um, This morning, our scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Please pray with me. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for this time and space to worship together. Thank you uh, for your perfect love for us, um, for every one of us. And please be with Pastor Joel as he preaches this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. One quick note, uh, because of the counterintuitive nature of uh, this section of the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to do Q&A. Because, look, sometimes there are certain passages, even if they're well known, that if we pause just for a minute and we let it sink in just what Jesus is calling you and I to this morning— then that's going to raise questions. And so uh, I hope to allow at the end of the service uh, some time for Q&A. You can participate in that through texting. The number is on the bottom of the worship guide at the back. If you're participating online or if you're here this morning, feel free to actively think through any questions that come up as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew and think about what it means to live as the Beloved. On a recent uh, podcast that I listened to called Reply All, uh, it's basically a podcast uh, about the internet, and uh, they did a, a would you rather question. And you may have seen this before, if not, that's fine. It, it's basically a way of asking, would you rather have A or B? And on the podcast, the question that they were working through is, would you rather have posted publicly for everyone to see your inner monologue, the things that you actually think about people as you go through life, or your entire web and mobile browser histories? Would you rather have that published, your inner monologue, or your entire browser history? And uh, as I'm listening to the podcast, as I often do, I kind of thought, huh, which would I choose? I'm not going to tell you. You can ask in q and I'm not going to tell you. But what I sensed in that moment, because either route that you go, I feel like those two things push much deeper into who we actually are, what we may actually struggle with, than what we can present on the surface. It can be easy 
Given our status in life and where we live, our education levels and some of our social experience, and if we're speaking relatively, the amount of resources and wealth that we have as a community in this area, it can be easy to paper over the deeper cracks in our lives. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is speaking to us and to the first century audience to warn them against papering over the deep spiritual cracks in their lives. So for us, we may dress things up, we may post only the pleasant parts, we may give vague and non-specific answers when people who love us and care for us ask us how we're doing. Those are all ways that we can say, oh yeah, yeah, we're good. And at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pushes in to show both the people who were coming to see him in the first century on that mountainside, and you and I this morning, that when it comes to living as the beloved, we don't have to paper over the spiritual cracks in our lives. When it comes to living as the beloved, we don't have to put on a front to make everything seem like it's okay. When it comes to living as the beloved, we are called to not only do real business with who we are and our own struggles, but then to love others accordingly. That is what Jesus calls us to, not just individually, but as a whole community. And that's what we'll look at this morning in two points. Uh, you'll see them on the slide behind me, but a deeper look at our lives and a directed call to love. So at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is uh, giving a series of uh, transforming statements about God's law. He starts in verse 21 with anger. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister is liable to judgment. Jesus sets up a series of but I tell you statements. This in the scholarly world is called the antitheses in the Sermon on the Mount. This idea that Jesus is setting up, you've heard it said, do not murder, do not commit adultery, to love your enemy, but, or, sorry, lo, sorry, correction, love, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And in each of those statements, Jesus comes and transforms those things, almost makes them either more intensive or puts them in a new light for you and I this morning. And so Jesus shows, hey, look, don't take the most superficial read of what God calls us to do and, and then not think any deeper than that. It is a call to take a deeper look at our lives, and that's what Jesus is pushing us toward. And what that keeps us from is from that papering over the cracks of thinking, I'm okay because I'm not a murderer. 
That's a pretty low bar for most people to clear, right? Uh, hey, as long as you don't kill anybody, you can think whatever you want. You can have whatever browser history you want. You can uh, you know, talk to people any way you want, so long as you don't do any physical violence. Jesus, for the beloved, presses deeper and says, actually, that low bar isn't as low as you think it is. He pushes in and says, have you ever been angry with someone? That becomes a much higher bar for each of us to clear. He goes on and doesn't just touch on anger, but touches on committing adultery. You've heard it said in verse 27, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who has looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here, giving the male and female setup, but the reverse is true as well. This idea that um, what we look at, the thoughts that we entertain, the ways in which our heart is motivated, has an impact on our spiritual reality, not just this low bar of did I violate the worst part of that command. And so Jesus is driving us to give deeper thought to our spiritual condition. Something that uh, on Sunday mornings I think is important to slow down, to ask questions about, to give some thought to as a congregation. In our 21st century moment here in the metro D.C. area, it can be easy to take a couple of quick off-ramps to spiritual reflection. That is to think through, man, do I really have real struggles? One off-ramp is just to quickly compare yourself to someone who's doing worse in your life and say, I must be okay. Look at them. At least I'm not that bad. And that's just a quick off-ramp. It's a way to not do real business with how you're doing, but to just look and say, well, I'm not as bad as them, so I must be okay. The other off-ramp that is so easily taken in this day and age is technological distraction. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to take a run at technology or say all oh, technology is bad, but often technology, having a phone in our pockets or purses anywhere we go, can become a quick distraction. So any quiet moment, any pause, any wait in line for whatever becomes an opportunity not for self-reflection or looking around or a moment of peaceful quiet, but uh, let me check out what's going on in the news. Let me check to see what that score is. Let me find some entertaining or funny meme. And that can become an off-ramp because then when we think, man, am I spiritually not doing okay? Uh, we can think about that for like three seconds and then we can pull out our phone and go, oh, look who's going to the World Series as if that is going to have some sort of impact on your spiritual life. So Jesus is inviting us, if you're willing to take a moment to slow down and to think, not in a relative way to the low bar of commands or to someone who may be worse in my life, but to think, how am I doing spiritually? Do I struggle with lusts? Do I struggle with anger? Do I struggle with impatience or arrogance? 
What are the things that I'm wrestling with in my life? Jesus calls us as a community to take a collective deeper look at our lives, to try to resist those off-ramps of easy relativism or technological distraction, and instead look closely at who he calls us to be. Now, here is the point in the sermon that's very important for you to hear, particularly if when someone says you haven't lived up to things, you tend to let that sink really deeply. Jesus does not raise these questions or call you to take a deeper look at your spiritual life in order to dump shame upon you. That is not the goal of these questions. And that's important for us because uh, we can then, as a result of thinking deeper, then just kind of sit uh, and, and almost be paralyzed and not know which way to move. It's important to understand the context that Jesus calls for this deeper reflection. It is as the status of beloved. So Jesus opens this sermon with the Beatitudes. Remember from a few weeks ago, the blessings that we enjoy. Jesus declares our status when we've turned to him in faith and we've been united to him that we have been justified. He has declared us righteous. We are in good standing with God. We have been adopted into his family as sons and daughters. And so when we take a deeper look at our lives, that is part of living as the beloved. It's how we orient our spiritual lives because my fear for us as a community, given how gifted each of you are and the various talents that are present in this room, is that when you highlight some sort of spiritual problem, your first instinct is to say, I'll work on that. I can fix that. I'll do it. And uh, that impulse is not entirely bad, but left in and of itself will never fix the lust and anger and impatience and arrogance that's present in our midst or as a part of our collective community. And so what God calls us to do is to look deeply at our struggles, but to navigate through them living as the beloved. How else could we hear this command to love our enemies and think in our own power we could actually do that, right? In verse 43, Jesus says, you've heard that it's said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Don't the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who could possibly live like this? Which one of us can raise our hands, this is rhetorical, and can say, uh, oh, I, I not only love my neighbors and the people who love me, but I love my enemies really well. I'm doing that on the regular. Which community do you know of 
uh, no matter how conservative or how progressive, says, uh, we love our enemies really, really well. Uh, you know, the people who we see as our enemies, uh, we're incredible at loving them. It is a distinct thing for Christians to hear this call to love those who are their enemies. And if we're honest, I think, as a 21st century church in the United States, we don't even have it hard. Uh, like, if we think the command to love our enemies is hard, and we start to think through, well, who are my enemies? And then we think through, could I love them? Uh, we're operating just at a 101 level. There are Christians in the world right now who are actively persecuted because they bear the name of Jesus. Like, they face losing their job because they're a Christian. They face imprisonment or beating because they're a Christian. They face losing their family and their belongings because they're a Christian. They face death because and only because they're a Christian. And Jesus' command for them to live as the beloved is no different. It is to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecute them. So I say that only to make this adjustment for how hard we may think we have it at this call to love our enemies. We don't have it half as hard as some of the Christians worldwide in other countries and places. So how can we do it? Whether we're doing it at a 101 level or a 401 level, how can we love our enemies. For Jesus, this idea, the example that he gives, is that it comes from following God's example. And he unpacks it initially very directly in the passage. He says, listen, God, who is just and perfect and holy and good, he makes it rain on the righteous and unrighteous. He basically says, listen, in the world in which we live in, there is, uh, there is um, a care for creation that is not always deserved. God doesn't just do good for those who love him and, do, uh, and bring judgment for those who don't. So the first example is kind of this general example, but Jesus himself plays it out in the days and years ahead in much more specific ways. When Jesus was at the Last Supper, he didn't punch Judas in the face, even though some may say that was warranted. When the Romans came for him, Jesus told Peter to put away the sword. When they walked him to his death, Jesus didn't curse them, even though he was an innocent man, but he prayed for them and prepared. When Jesus was headed up to the cross, he didn't have vague, mild, good feelings for people love in that kind of way. He gave up his life. Jesus can call us to love our enemies because it's what Jesus did for us when we stood as enemies in our sin. That is the good news of Christianity. It is not, and I'm not trying to ruffle feathers, but it is not, hey, you are pretty good, and in Jesus you can make the rest all right. The reason why we can confess our sin each week is because apart from Jesus, we stand as enemies of God, rightly judged for our sin. And 
into that context Jesus himself entered in to give up his own life so that you and I could live as the beloved and then follow his example in loving not only our neighbors or the people who love us, but loving our enemies as well. It is Jesus who lives out the complete picture of loving enemies, and he calls us to follow That is what it looks like to live as the beloved, to follow in Jesus's example in loving not only those who do you good, but who intend to do you evil. It's an interesting thing about this passage in the Greek text. Um, When, uh, you know, I'll, I'll point you here so you can follow along. When he says, you have heard it said, and then the you there in verse, um, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The your neighbor and your enemy there, and that you've heard it said, is singular. It's second person singular. But when Jesus does this transition, when he transforms, when he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, it's second person plural. He's saying corporately, we as a church and as a community are to love our enemies. And it's, I, I highlight that because we can often think of things solely in individualistic terms, but the reality is here, at a minimum, when Jesus is talking to people on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying all of you love your collective enemies. And so that is a different challenge when we think through how do we follow Jesus' example and live as the beloved. One way we can do it is live together as a community. Part of being a church is that we can think through and talk through together who is it that we should love. We can warn one another collectively who are the people that we may be looking at as enemies. And what does God call us to do? So one way to apply this is to live as a community. A second way to apply this, both individually and as a community, is to uh, consume less social media. Um, This is tricky. I'm saying this is an application of the passage. But if we're going to love our enemies well, my take is that consuming more social media does not help us to love our enemies well well or to love our enemies at all some aspects of social media seem designed to inflame our tensions it seems to take advantage of our impulses to be really angry at other people and it seems to exacerbate those things and so maybe one way we can love our enemies practically and as an application is to say uh, let's be cautious about what it is that we're consuming and how it drives our heart an example of that is anything that you read or any conversation that you're a part of that tends to dehumanize others is not going to encourage you to love them dehumanization is the first step toward hating and perpetrating evil against other individuals and groups And so if you're a part of something and you get any hint of dehumanization, failing to talk about other people as if they are God, uh, are image bearers of God, is the first step in the wrong direction of loving enemies. Trust me. Resist it. Push away from that. Recognize what's going on. So live in community. Maybe consider consuming less social media. And uh, as a a third 
uh, application of how we can live this out is beware of the things we're tempted to worship. And in this area, I would just highlight political idolatry as one of the things that we have to avoid. I hope it's not just me. I I think I can bear this out in social science studies and a collective read of what the public discourse looks like, but it seems like we live in a more partisan or sharp-edged country in this moment, and D.C. tends to often be the epicenter of a lot of those political conversations. But when we think through just who our enemy is, we have to be cautious to uh, interact to communicate with and about, and to live lives that are marked by love, even with the people we disagree with. And to the extent that politics in our area can be elevated, there is a temptation to set aside Jesus' call to love not just the people who are like us, but to love our enemies as well. We can tend or be tempted to set that part aside and say, no, but you don't understand how bad it is, Pastor Joel. So we just have to be aware of that dynamic, particularly in the time and place that we live. Maybe that's not something you personally struggle with. Good. But I promise you it's something that your neighbors or family or people around you in our area do struggle with. And so we have to be aware of that if we're going to apply this command to love our enemies. Jesus intensifies the laws it would be understood in the first century. And he does it for a purpose. He wants us to be perfect just as our Heavenly Father is perfect. He wants us to move toward a more sanctified life, as Albert talked about in our Confession of Sin. It is this idea that we are called to not just get a little bit better spiritually, but to grow as a collective community to be more like Jesus, to live and love like Jesus did, to live lives that are marked by the graciousness and service and words of truth that Jesus lived and told. And so living lives as the beloved means that we begin to love not just the people who love us, but our enemies as well. We begin to love them not just in the words that we say, but in our actions. We begin to love them because we recognize that at one point we were enemies of God. Yet, because of the love, life, and death of Jesus Christ for you and for me, we now have the privilege to live as the beloved. That is what God calls us to in this time and in this place in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Let me pray. Got to ask that as we do business with these kinds of challenging texts, that we won't set them aside and run, that we won't sit in them in shame, but that we will turn afresh again and again to you, Jesus May that drive who we aspire to be. May that drive how we think about spiritual maturity. May that drive how not only we talk about others, but how we live in community, in service and care for others. Not just our neighbors, but our enemies too. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.